Hello and welcome to the Nefer Coaches Corner podcast, May 2022. My name's Ryan McKnight and myself and my co-host, Head of Academy at Nefer Spencer Fern, we welcome special guest this month, Steve Walsh. Uh, Steve Walsh has had a superb career within scouting and recruitment in the game. He's worked at a host of Premier League clubs in senior positions uh, and, of course, he's best known uh, for being a director of football and assistant manager at Leicester City during their title win, sporting director at Everton and now as a senior consultant to the new MLS side, Charlotte FC. We've broke the podcast down into two parts for you. In this first part, we look at Steve's career, the lessons that he's learned over that time. We'll talk about some of the great successes that he's had as well. At the end of part one, uh, there is a question from Steve to you, the listener, uh, and really do use the opportunity in between the two podcasts to have a think about the answer to that question and play along if you like. Um, before I let you go, um, please do check out all of our other podcasts which are available on our website, nefa.co.uk. And please do check out Nefa. We are doing some fabulous work within the 16 to 18 age group that we are really, really proud of. We've had lots of exciting news about some of our new partnerships over the past couple of weeks. So if you're interested in that space, uh, please do check us out. And as always, please do try and share the podcast. We really, really do appreciate that. And any feedback that you've got or any topics that you would like us to explore, please get in touch and you can do that through the website as well. So I'll leave you uh, to 90 minutes of Steve Walsh. We hope you enjoy. Uh, and as I say, we hope to hear from you again in the future. Okay, great stuff. Let's make a start. Uh, good evening, everybody. Welcome to another Nefer Coaches Corner. Really excited for the next 90 minutes or so and the guest and the topic that we're going to cover this evening. As always, I'm joined by Nefer's Head of Academy and my co-host on the Coaches Corner, Spencer Fern. Spencer, good evening. How are you? I'm very well, Ryan. Good evening. How are you? I'm 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 brilliant. I'm fine. I'm good. Good. Glad to hear it. Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Nefer Coaches Corner. And a warm welcome to tonight's guest, Steve Walsh. Steve's had a fantastic career in the game, completing recruitment roles at Chelsea and Newcastle prior to moving to Leicester City, where he was head of recruitment and assistant manager. As part of these roles, Steve's work led to some incredible signings, such as Kante. Vardy and Mares, and of course, winning the Premier League. Steve then moved on to Everton in 2016 and departed Goodison in 2018 and was appointed as a special advisor to the MLS expansion team, Charlotte FC, in early 2020. And he's been responsible for helping the club recruit an entire squad from scratch for their debut season. So, good evening, Steve, and welcome. Good evening. How are we all? 
All good. All good. Now, before we get into the many questions that to Ryan and myself have, and hopefully you, the attendees tonight, we're over to Ryan. It's question time. Yeah, you know, it's question time. It's the it's the best part of the evening. Everybody knows that. Um, I've kept it topical yet again. Um, so we're going with knowledge on American soccer. Football, uh, Ryan. It's football, not soccer. So soccer. No, no football. Football, Ryan. We'll let Steve decide. Uh, uh, Amer and American soccer and geography combined, a hybrid. So here is here is the question. Here is the question. Which state is Charlotte FC in? I was going to say, what state is Charlotte FC in? That would have been a leading leading question. So which state is it in? Whilst you're having a little go at answering that, bit of housekeeping from myself. If you've got a question, Steve, this evening, and why wouldn't you? Uh, I want you to put it in the Q&A box. Makes my job much, much easier. Um, if you've got a general comment about anything that you're hearing this evening um, or you want to share your contact details, your Twitter address, your LinkedIn address, uh, feel free to do that in uh, the chat box. Uh, so I'll just give it a few more moments for a few more people to have a go at the question. Um, uh, it, well, I'll, I'll use another American term. It looks a bit of a home run so far. Spencer, I know you know the answer, so I will allow you to uh, reveal the answer. Thank you, Ryan. It is North Carolina. Oh, we did have one wrong result at the end, which so I'm happy Carolina. about. Yeah. I've took some pleasure that somebody's got it wrong. Is that is that a bad thing? Probably. Probably. No, we yeah, had North, North Carolina. Did you get it right, Steve? Uh, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> well, Steve, good evening uh, and welcome. Um, before we, we get into the first question, um, you know, we need to settle this debate. Is it soccer or is it football? Yeah, come on, Steve. Um, depends who you're talking to. <laughs> um, Talk to and you. Uh, if if you've got um, a European background, you'll you'll call it football. But if you're trying to get money out of your owner to spend on players, it, it could well be soccer. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Horses for courses. Okay, so uh, so welcome, Steve. Um, you've completed many high-profile roles in sport with Leicester, Everton. You know, being in Newcastle, Chelsea, and so on. Uh, and now you're a consultant for the newest entrant to the MLS, Charlotte FC. Can you tell us a little bit about your current role and what it entails? Yeah, um, obviously the uh, the background to uh, to Charlotte FC becoming a football club um, and joining the MLS. Um, it's all come through uh, a guy called Dave Tepper. Dave Tepper is a very wealthy businessman. Um, who owns the Carolina Panthers. He um, obviously pays into the franchise for the NFL, um, wanted a, a football stroke soccer team um, to represent North Carolina. Um, set up base is, uh, is Charlotte. Charlotte have got the Bank of America Stadium, which holds approximately 80,000 fans. Um, and I think he would like to fill it with as many um, as many um, football, uh, soccer, and other events as is possible, so that uh, it maximises investment. Part of that was his his love for soccer, 
um, and he wanted then to join the MLS because there wasn't a team in that area. Um, and so he paid for the franchise. Um, we should have gone in in 2021, yeah. uh, but obviously that was put back 12 months uh, to this this last year. And um, and we've now uh, we're now up and running. We're we're playing in the league. We're in a mid-table position. We're not breaking any pots at the moment, but we uh, we're certainly maintaining a level and sure that we can compete at that level and uh, and hope to finish the season in the in the playoff zones. Um, that is the the aim at this moment in time. And how did your role come about there, Steve? I was contacted by. Uh, by uh, a guy called Zoran Kranata uh, and a guy called Tom Glick. Uh, Tom Glick was um, chief exec at Derby County when I was at Leicester. And then he moved to Manchester City and then he worked for the City Group. Now, he's American born um, and uh, he had got some dealings with me in the past. Um, Zoran as, as well, I, I dealt with as um, he was an, an agent, worked for Star Management, and he got the role of the sporting director. Uh, he's now the sport director. And uh, it was felt that, that he needed some help and guidance with the formation of the football club, not just on recruitment, but on all the other aspects that uh, go together with putting a, a football club together. Uh, for me, it was a new challenge. It was something that I haven't done before. I've never actually worked for a football team that don't actually play football matches every Saturday. Uh, started in 2019, so it's been kind of building the product, um, and that, that takes time. Um, and we've been building uh, not just the, the first team squad, but also... Um, I've been uh, instrumental in, in helping the uh, and bring the coach, the the coach to the team, and also goalkeeping coach, and all the other um, roles that come with the with the, the backroom uh, of a football club. Yeah, we're gonna gonna ask you a little bit later on about building that roster uh, and what it takes to do that in America, the challenges, the opportunities. Um, but obviously, you mentioned Zoran, who is obviously the, 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 the sporting uh, director. Of course, that's quite a common role now um, in, in, in the game and certainly, you know, quite very, very common in, in English football. How do you see the role and what do you really see as the key priorities of it? Well, I think it, it varies from club to club. Um, but there are certain elements that, that kind of transcend every club. Um, if, if a club are going to do it properly, then they need to put that sporting director in charge of all the football activities at the club. That's not to say that they'll be fully immersed and involved in every single aspect, but actually as an overseer of somebody with the experience in certain areas, um, will, their, their experience will be better in some areas than in others. Um, but within the, the confines of the, of the football club's uh, matrix, that, that you're, you've got this um, umbrella 
uh, effect and uh, you would hope that you've got some good handle on it. Uh, the, the, the key to success is to make sure you've got good managers of each individual section, whether it's the physiotherapy, whether it's the fitness, whether it's the psychology, whether it's the coaching, um, you need a handle on all those aspects. Um, I, I always say that to actually be a sporting director, you also need to have a handle on recruitment because recruitment is the backbone of any football club, the, the players, the players that you bring in. And no matter what job you do and how it's perceived out there, you will be uh, judged by the greater audience whether you're successful in your recruitment of, of players and ultimately the results that the, the first team gets. And I think that's the, the, the measure that you'll, you'll, be, you'll, be, you'll be assessed on. We're seeing in England, Steve, you know, a lot more sporting directors now, not just in the Premier League, but further down the pyramid. Why do you think it's taken so long for, for the English clubs to, to appoint in this role? Because it's been uh, commonplace in Europe, you know, GMs in the States. I think it's, it's tradition. Um, it was always seen um, as the game evolved that the manager was king um, and whatever the manager said or wanted actually happened. And uh, the, the role of the, the manager stroke head coach now is so difficult that it's impossible for one person to do that job. You know, in, in the past, a manager, an old fashioned, if you want to call him that manager, was expected to go and watch players when, he, when his team wasn't playing um, and make assessments on whether he wanted those um, transfer targets to, to come in or not. And uh, it's only in recent times that, that the, the jobs have evolved, the managers and the industry has grown in such a fashion that it's impossible for one man to actually take on the mantle of everything. And I think that has taken time. You know, the managers sometimes don't, don't want to relinquish that power to other people. You know, they've got the, we've got football clubs now who've got entire recruitment departments who bring the players and the coaches then appointed to coach the players that they've brought in. And they've got very limited, um, a limited uh, part of, of that process. And they don't like it. <laughs> um, because ultimately... <laughs> They're, they're judged by the performances on the field. And if they're saying that the players aren't, aren't the players they want, then you, you've, got, you've got a bit of a dilemma there. So I think it's evolved over time because common sense has prevailed. There's more businessmen who've come into the game and they've tried to bring a business model with them. And that business model says sensibly that that one job would be too much for one man and that it needs doing each section has its own uh, its own professionalism. It's got its its own uh, abilities, and, uh, and and there are people of high caliber in each of those areas that they can rely on for help in terms of the whole picture. And part of the role as well, Steve, with the sporting director, is actually being the conduit between the, the manager 
and probably the chairman or the owner of the football club, uh, you know, obviously a key part of the role. I mean, what, what kind of challenges can that present, you know, be working between the manager and the chairman? I think managing up is probably one of the most difficult skills of the job. Um, because at one end, you're going to have the manager who is under extreme pressure uh, from the fans, from the, the social media, from the press. Uh, you're under pressure from day one. And uh, I think that's indicative of, of this industry. Um, you've got to marry up that relationship between uh, the manager uh, and whoever they're accountable to. And ultimately, you're accountable to the chairman, um, the board, and, and in most cases these days, an owner. Um, and uh, those three challenges come with their own um, problems at times. Um, you know, on a, on a match day, if you're the owner of a football club, the first thing you want to know when you wake up Saturday morning is what's the team? You know, and you get some managers, head coaches, don't want to give the team to anybody. Because once it's out there, people can prepare and, and maybe do something that, that will, will, will affect the, the result. Um, so teasing that team out of the manager to give to the owner uh, is sometimes a very difficult thing to do. That's something um, you have to do, Steve, as part of your roles? Pardon? Did you have to do that as part of your role as well? Oh, un undoubtedly, undoubtedly. And I think probably if you ask most sporting directors who are accountable, that the owners want to know what's going on. It's their money. We want to know what's going on, i.e. you need to be telling. And, and to be fair, the, the owners, you know, and, and if you're a, a sporting director and you're, uh, you, you've got a home fixture on the Saturday and you've been to the training on Friday, you pretty much know what's what's going on because if you're doing your job properly, you'll have stuck your head out the window and be maybe watching that last coaching session, having a look when they're doing shape, and uh, you'll pre have a pretty much of a handle on what the team is. And also, I will ask the manager what the team is, <laughs> and you'll be telling me, mate, if you want to keep your job, you'll be telling me what that team is. Um, and then obviously that's, never, I mean, tell, never tell you a little porky pie one of the managers uh, Steve wouldn't do Ryan oh, okay alright <laughs> wouldn't do um, I think they they, they realise that they're, they're you know that accountability is is there and, and they, they know that, they, that that's one of the things that you're going to have to do uh, it's not a it's not a massive massive part of your job but it's 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 one of those small things to you, but a massive thing to the owner. If he doesn't know, because he wants to know before the general public know what the team is, you know. So if his mates ask him, he goes, "Well, yeah, he, he's leaving the left back." I don't agree with him, but he's leaving the left back out or whatever it is, because everybody in football is an expert. Everybody, listen, we'll all have picked our own team anyway, you know, and. Um, and I have, I do, and have been asked what my thoughts are on the team once they've picked it, <laughs> and and I, and I don't really hang back. I've got to be a little bit careful, but um, you know, um, it's not my role 
as a, that is is not part of the sporting director's role. It's it's the coach's role to pick the team, get the best out of them, and ultimately, you know, whatever I think about it doesn't matter if they're getting the results on the on the field. That's the that's the bottom line. And the the relationship with the manager as well, Steve. So you're a, a top coach and had lots of success. Um, how how do you like? bridge that with with a, a head coach that you know you're not actually after their job even though you could probably do their job I and mean, how does that work with the relationships well there are a few um there are a few aspects of that really you know because tied into that is if things are going really well you might lose that manager to a team who are maybe higher up the league or higher up the food chain than you are um conversely if the team are not successful and then we're not winning football matches, it's going to be your, your role to remove the coach. So you've got to have this situation that you're in a position where you, 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 you do succession planning. So if, you know, if, you're, uh, if, if you're a top, top manager at the moment and uh, you're headhunted by Paris Saint-Germain, I need to be in a position in August uh, before then, uh, when we start pre-season, to put a new, a new manager in place, a new head coach in place. And so you've got to have that relationship from the start um, and make the coach aware that that is your role. My role is significantly different to yours, but we're all trying to go the same way. And yes, You've been brought in and I've helped to bring you in. I'm hoping that you'll be successful. But ultimately, if you're not, it's my role, obviously, then to replace you. Or if you if you have been successful, then move on. So I think you, if you've got that sort of relationship with the manager, they know where the, the boundaries are. And from that point of view, they'll they'll keep they'll keep their own counsel. And um, and you want that as well. You know, you want you want a smooth transition transition of communication but you also you need to give them that space as well so that they can develop and develop the team you've already mentioned um the type of things that the sporting director has to do over over different functional areas uh, of the club of, of of business um how does that translate into the actual attributes that a successful sporting director needs you know what 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 are the prerequisite attributes that you know somebody needs to go and excel uh, as a sporting director well i, I always think that a um, recruitment background helps um because you've got to move through all the departments within the football club um and i think you've got to spend a significant amount with that recruitment department because ultimately you've got to rubber stamp the signings that come in, even though you've perhaps not even seen them play. I suggest that most sporting directors, especially if you're spending money, they've been out and they they've got a they've got an opinion on that player. Yeah. And, and like you say, you know, whether you like it or not, that's also how you're gonna be, that's how you're gonna live and die as well. That's how you're gonna you're gonna be judged. So you might have the best medical team in the world, actually. If you're losing games, it counts for nothing. Yeah, and you might have the best academy in the world as well and spent a lot of time with them. And you might, your psychology department and fitness could be second to none. You can be, you can have all the 
the charts and the websites that you, you, you desire. But ultimately, if you're not winning football matches, then it, it comes on to roost. And unfortunately, the book stops with you and, uh, and the board and the owner and the manager. And then it's your job to decide the way that things are going to go in the future. So when you're making, uh, when you're talking about sort of attributes of a, a successful sporting director in terms of being able to prioritise, I mean, would you put a percentage on it in terms of time that you would you would spend on recruitment? It's difficult or? to put a percentage on it because when you go into a football club, you do a club audit and it could well be that the academy is, is completely run down and not going in the right direction. So you might have to spend uh, quite a considerable amount of that percentage with people involved at that level, and that might take up a lot of a lot of your time. Um, once you'd, you'd like to think that once the physiotherapy departments and the fitness have been put in place, and you've brought in people that you can know and can trust, and also can work in in harmony with the manager, you'd like to think that those departments can kind of almost run themselves. With um, but but even even then, you know, you've you've got to communicate. You know, I, I want to know who's injured. I want to know who's not available. I want to know what treatments and and on what what's the rehab for that player and, and what we, what timeline we're looking that they get back into the first team. You know, all those those things are crucial as well. Um, and then you've got to liaise with the with the secretary. You know, in uh or the football operations officer, as they're, they're, they're commonly known in, in circles, because they're dealing with logistics, you know, what, uh, what, time, what time are we going? What time, what, which hotel are we staying at? How far is it from the ground? Um, do we need to go two days beforehand because it's so far away? If it's a European game, for instance, have we got a training ground on the, uh, the day before the game? You know, all these things, the logistics of the job, that you need to have a handle on, and and, it's and, all... and, and you've got a, you've got a few big trips in the MLS, haven't you? So that need, definitely needs organising. That is a massive operation. You know, you've got six-hour flights in between fixtures at times, so it is a really, really big, uh, a, a big operation as far as that's concerned. And you need a, a big team behind the team. You need a lot of good, big professional people who know what they're doing in all those aspects and uh, fortunately we've 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 we dropped i wouldn't say we dropped lucky because you like to think the recruitment process even of of people in the backroom staff is is first class as well um but i've got to say it's a slick operation at, at charlotte and we get um you know sometimes it can be two or three days before before a game because of the timeline, you've got to, you've got your players have got to get uh, acclimatized, um, and then you know, I mean, it is it is it is a tough league, and that's that's something that that's something that doesn't uh, doesn't get taken into consideration when a lot of European players come and they think, well, it won't be too bad. I mean, even in the UK, if you're Newcastle, you're flying to most games for away games anyway. You know, uh, so I remember flying away many, many times from Newcastle Airport because that's the, that's what you had to do. Um, so it, it's, you know, it's so different because because of that flying time, 
that might just go through two time zones on on, on the way. So it, it's uh, there's there's a lot to, a lot to consider. And if you look at the MLS results, you don't get as many away results as way positive results as as you as you might think. Mm. Um, and maybe maybe it's probably because of it. Knackered, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Well, especially going across all the time zones. So, uh, in terms of the, the sporting director role, Steve, obviously the recruitment is is critical as part of that role, as is analysis and the medical side and football science. Uh, I mean, how critical is it that the sporting director has an in-depth knowledge of all those areas? Um, I, I don't think, I think you've got to have an overview. I think you, and I think that comes with experience because if you've been brought up in the game in, in football clubs, you've got a good handle on most situations because they've, they've occurred during either you've been playing or you've been coaching. And uh, there are certain situations that you, you know of. And, and, then, and then there's the, the, the new generation of, uh, of things, statistics, analysis, um, GPS, all, all the rest of the, that that goes with it. That's all evolved over, over the time. Um, I think you have to have a handle on things. I think you have to have a broad knowledge of football. But an in-depth of each individual area, I would say, is almost impossible. Um, but you will have a specialism. You could be coming in from any of those areas. Um, but I said, as I said before, I think recruitment is a very, very valuable tool in which to have had that background prior to you becoming a sport director. And with uh, the coach that you brought into Charlotte, so um, the coaches support staff, were you involved in the process or was that left yeah, for the yeah. coach to bring um, I, Yeah, I interviewed approximately 20 people. Um, and we went through a process and we used, um, we used numbers in terms of their uh, adaptability to the, uh, and we, we, we numbered them out of 10, we gave them scores and we tried to do it in, in a fair-minded way. <laughs> but ultimately, I think you, can, you can't beat the, the, the gut feeling um, that somebody will bring to you. Um, but it was a process, you know, it was, it was, there was five or six people in that process before that uh, appointment was made. And so it's, uh, and, and the owner was part of that as well, um, which I'm, I'm glad to say, because ultimately, you know, the book stops with him in terms of, you know, he's the guy who's, who's paying the checks. So it's important that he, he has a handle on it and he can relate to the person who's coming in. It's an interesting one that kind of gets overlooked, isn't it, with being a sporting director? Because I think people think about bringing um, players in. But realistically, obviously, you know, you're also bringing all in all these other people in as well. Could you give us just a little insight into the framework around the manager? Um, obviously, that part of America uh, has got a big, uh, uh, you know. Latin, you know, it's it's got a Spanish vibe, hasn't it? I was going to. What's the word for me, Steve? Uh, Hispanic. Hispanic. A big Hispanic yeah. community. Yeah. Um, obviously, the, the the manager is multilingual, isn't it? You know. So, what yeah. was the what was the framework around uh, deciding who the manager? Well, we've got was a fan, we've got a fan base that's uh, there's a lot of South Americans who live in in uh, in North Carolina in that area, mm. Mexicans, Cubans. 
Um, you're looking at you're looking at Ecuador. You're looking at Chile. You're looking at you know you're looking at Argentina. We've got we've got a, a lot of a lot of people uh, Spanish speaking. Obviously, most of them speak English as well. Um, but we felt that we needed sort of that a little bit of of the South American flair to 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 help us. Um, and also, it's helped with that. If you look at the the fans that turned up for our first game, which were seventy four and a half thousand people, an MLS record, um, that it, it certainly it certainly works and pays off. And we're getting we're getting a de- decent crowds at our home games, um, and most of them have bought a shirt, and shirts are not cheap. So we 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 definitely we definitely got the right vibes because the you know everybody's bought into it. Um, as far as that is concerned, it's it's sometimes it's it's difficult with the recruitment in terms of your um, during COVID, for instance, it, it was difficult to go out and watch players live. We had to do a lot of streaming, a lot of uh, work on on. Uh, Place like like Wisecout. Don't like to advertise agencies, but Wisecout <laughs> is, is is pretty good and what yeah, very good. What, the, the main one that we use. Um, but you got you got Prozone and you've got um, you got Noise Feed. You've got listen, you you name it. it it's out there. There's stacks of uh, different yeah. webs that you can use. I'm sure I recommended at least four or five players to you. They, they none none of them have arrived in North Carolina. Well, that's because I had a look at them, Ryan. Oh, <laughs> to be fair, you know, at 51, I think Steve Ball can still do it. I think he can still do it, you know, probably older than that, to be honest. Not long um, recruitment for you, Ryan. Maybe not. No, maybe, yeah, yeah. Because I just keep on putting Ball and Robbie Dennison in. I don't care how old they are. Um, <laughs> top players. Top players. Um, in terms of uh, the recruitment team, Steve, I mean, how big is the recruitment team at Charlotte? Uh, Thomas Schilling is the director of scouting, and then we've got Lissandro. One, two, three. I would say we've got about four main players uh, who are based in in Charlotte, uh, and then we've got people covering other areas. Obviously, I'm I'm in the UK, but we've got people in Eastern uh, Eastern Europe who I, I went out to Belgrade two weeks ago and met Davor. Who works for us? He does. He does. Uh, he does Eastern Europe for us, and then uh, and then I went to Lisbon uh, again a couple of weeks ago, and I was met there by one of our scouts as well. So we've got we have got scouts in Europe. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of people who uh, who Zoran trusts. He trusts. Uh, he's a sport director. At the end of the day, the book kind of with that uh, at that angle stops with him. Um, so he's, he's he's put a very very good clever team together, very good with analytics, very good um, at putting uh, the analysis together when when we're looking at signing players, um, and then obviously we we can now and and recently I've been out and about trying to look at players live. I did I did watch some during COVID. Um, I went to watch uh, probably I don't know probably about twenty games during COVID, which was quite a lot because a lot of football clubs were not letting you in the football stadiums. Um, but I did manage to work, you know, I, I even managed to go and watch Chorley beat Derby County in the FA Cup. 
Just I myself, thought. just myself and Graham Barra sat behind the press boys <laughs> on the show. Spotted you on the telly. Spotted you on the telly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Terry Robinson, who's who's the the, the CEO there, he, he said, but you and Graham are gonna have to wear white uh, orange viz jackets so you can pose a security. I said to Terry, you're having a he, he was having a laugh actually, which was uh, which was good. Oh, I wish he'd seen that through. That would have been perfect. <laughs> that would have been perfect. <laughs> We half expected to have to put vis jackets on to get in, you know. But, uh, we I mean, didn't. Could have, been, yeah. could have been worse. You could have. You said you're either mascot or something like that. You'd have to be uh, in a bear or whatever. Well, we, we were trying. We tried to hide out of the way as well. <laughs> uh, Brilliant. Right, as we work our way up uh, to, to 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 the break, let's just let's just move on. And I want to I want to um, uh, talk about the process of signing a player now. You have signed some um, uh, players that have gone on to be some of the world's best players. You know, Mares, Vardy is absolute peak, absolutely one of the most potent strikers um, in, in in Europe. Involved in, in 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 other players as well. Talk to us about your process of signing uh, a player. Um, I think you've got to rely on information that you receive from the people who are working for you, for starters. Uh, David Mills did a great job uh, for me when I was at Leicester, as did Rob McKenzie and, and Ben Rigglesworth and Callum, who's, who's still there. Th those guys were, uh, did, did, did really well. Uh, did really well. Um, uh, Ollie Waldron, the other one, he, he went off to uh, Bordeaux after he left left Leicester. Uh, so those guys played their part. Um, they bring back information to you. And then ultimately, you know, somebody's got to put the, somebody's got to put the, the neck on the block. Uh, you know, it's decision time. And I was fortunate at Leicester, uh, had a good, good relationship with John Rudkin and, uh, and the owners. And I was able to uh, basically get my own way when it came to signing, signing players. Um, Nigel was um, uh, very, very good with that. Um, he kind of got on with his job, and I got on with mine. Obviously, I would have to convince Nigel that that these were the players that that we felt were were, were good enough to come and play for us. Mm -hmm. But there was a lot, lot of trust there, and uh, and I admire uh, Nigel for that. You know, he he did put a lot, a lot of faith in me, as did Shaky. You know, I, we we made a good team. Um, at that time and, and created a great environment. Um, unfortunately, once you've got that information in, um, we, we then monitor that player over a few weeks. Um, it could be months, depends on the time of the, the time that you're going to sign them, depends whether it's before the, the deadline, whether it's you know just after after a deadline finishes and you're looking at the next uh, transfer window. Um, but you build up a picture and once you've built that picture up if you can back that up with statistics and with video footage that helps you to to make a good informed decision um, and that's the ideal way to do it it doesn't always work out that way uh, so you know you could go to watch one player not like that player whatsoever but actually see something that you do like um, and that that's happened to me in the past. 
Um, and certainly that happened with, with Marais. Um, you know, I went to watch uh, Le Havre. Um, and um, yeah, and, and, and I saw Riyadh play and I was very impressed with what I saw. Um, and then, you know, we took a leap of faith. Uh, we sent, uh, I'm not sure whether Millsy or, or Rob McKenzie, I think Rob McKenzie was with me when I watched him the first time. Um, and then I think I sent Millsy to watch him after that to kind of get his feeling on it as well. And then, uh, yeah, then we, we made it happen. When you first went to watch Mares, were there other people on, was he on other people's radar or? Um, well, it, it was, it was in the, it, it's hard to, it's hard to say whether it was, because he, because he wasn't on our radar. I don't know whether he was on other people's radar. And um, I remember meeting Riyadh uh, after the game um, and put my arms around him and said, would you like to come to Leicester? And he, and he said, he said, like, you know, where's Leicester? You know, absolutely no idea. He's from Paris, you know, and that's where he was brought up, uh, you know, and all the rest of it. So it was, um, yeah, in interesting, very interesting the way it happened. And how, and how did you answer that question to him? Where's, where's he, Leicester? I said, I said, you've heard about a rugby team. <laughs> Because Leicester were quite good at rugby and they were in the in the rugby union. Yeah, set up later to lose and stuff. So and that's how he knew them, you know. I said, well, our stadium is bigger than theirs. Listen, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I said, look, get yourself over there, have a look at us and see what you think. I think we I think he came, had a look at some obviously from once once I've made that, he's watching Sky every week, isn't he? We're, you know, we're flying at the time. And uh, and we're on every week, so he gets a chance to see us. And he must thought, well, I fancy some of that. And also, I had Anthony Knocker at the club at the time, again, who'd I'd been to France and, and watched him play for Gango, Sp spelt Gwyn Camp if you're looking at the table. Um, but it is called they call it Gango, that's how they say it. I mean, you don't know where it is, you've no idea, have you? Just that, just that bit, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not nowhere near Paris, it's about three and a half hours. Yeah, that's Paris. what I meant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's in uh, it's, it's in Brittany. It's in Brittany, not far, it's not far from uh, San Malo. It's a bit further on the coast from San Malo. Anyway, the geography lesson over. <laughs> that was Anthony Ocker. So when he knew I had another French guy, and he also signed um, Anthony Kermagon. Uh, not Anthony Kermagon. Kermagant, who went to Bournemouth, striker, yeah, who missed that penalty in the playoffs against Cardiff. Spot the, spot the, and Anthony then missed one against Watford, but he did. That, that's the famous one, isn't it? Yeah, that was the famous one. Yeah. But they both missed penalties in playoff games, which didn't go down too well. But anyway, <laughs> just on, on Mares, Steve. So, um, did you just watch him the twice then, and once you'd seen him the second yeah. time, that was it? Yeah, obviously we got a lot of we got a lot of footage on him. Yeah. Um, so we'd seen him, we'd seen the live games of him before and after. Um, but I actually only watched him twice. But hey, listen, sometimes I go to a game and I watch a player once and I know I know pretty much from the start whether I fancy him or not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you the know. process with, with Charlotte as well. So 
obviously you've got your, I think your team of four, four main scouts. I mean, what's the process there? Do they report back to like the, the chief scout and then it comes to yourself or Zora and that one? Yeah, I, I like to think I get I get used for the the important decisions when they're really thinking about signing a player. Um, but I've I mean I've, I've done I've done five five reports this morning, you know. So I'm I'm still working remotely as well. Uh, it, it adds, you know, what you know what good scouting is. Good scouting is the filterization of information. Scouts are good information gatherers. Um, they're not all good at making that final that final decision, but they're good at telling me what they're good and what they're not so good at. And I think that's a skill in itself. Um, at the end of the day, the scouting process just minimises the risk. It doesn't completely obliterate the risk, but it, it minimises that risk because it doesn't matter if you sign the player who's done really, really well for one team, he comes into your team and he might not fit in for a variety of reasons. And I've had a, I've, I've signed players, you know, and any any anybody that says they've signed players and they've all been a success is a liar because I've had players come in and they've not fit in. And perhaps they didn't fit it in because they didn't speak the language or they don't like the weather or they're away from the family. There's a multitude of reasons why people don't always perform at the level that you know they can. Um, and so it, it, it is a risk. Any transfer of any player at any level is a risk. And I, I'd include Haaland, I'd include the Jesus if you're going to sign him, you know, uh, you know or a Chris Wood. It, it, it's, you know, it, 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 they're, they're not guaranteed or bolt on. Look at, look at Chelsea, they had Kevin De Bruyne, Very shortly. 